Jeremy mentioned, if you were around at all this week, we had an awesome week at this church. Uh, church picnic was fantastic, best weather of the, of the spring. Uh, annual meeting went really well, approved the budget, that's good. Uh, Saturday, yesterday, the hundreds of us met here, and we dispersed throughout the community. And uh, it was our first Love Works service day, and uh, we were all over the place. We were in schools, we were in parks, we were in neighborhoods, we were... We were uh, we were on the campus. I know that my community group, we went to the Bridgeport Rescue Mission, and we went to their guest house. That is the only shelter for single moms and their kids. And so we brought goodie bags, and, um, and we went and we played with the kids and prayed with the moms and hung out with the director there, prayed over her, and uh, it was the most awesome time together where God used us to bring and be a blessing and to every one of us, we left, we actually stood around in the parking lot and prayed together because we got more blessed than the residents, right? What happened is we went to love on people and God just poured back into us because we just let him use us. Fantastic. Do not miss it when we do this again. Again, it's not a day. This is a lifestyle, right? We're, this is our lives. We're going to live like this. We just kind of ramped up by doing it a day where the whole church had canvassed the community and it was so fun. So don't miss it. Next time we do it, it is a blast. Part of it's, it's how Jesus' love works. That's the whole series we're in. We're in the fifth week of our love works series. And uh, I want to camp out in uh, the first nine chapters of uh, Matthew's gospel. You heard me, nine chapters. You'll be out by lunchtime. Do not worry. We're going to move quickly. Um, but I want to talk about it because there's, it demonstrates, again, another facet of how Jesus' love works, how it transforms people and communities. So if you would, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to kind of highlight uh, the first several chapters. In fact, the first four chapters of Matthew speaks about Jesus' birth, his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, and then the beginning of his earthly ministry. Uh, Matthew goes on to describe how Jesus begins to preach and teach all around Galilee. That's the northern section of Israel where he called his first disciples, and then he's healing people. He's touching them. He's freeing demonized people, and, and the crowds are amazed. They've never seen anything like this. In fact, a summary paragraph of the first four chapters is found at the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 23. We'll read it together. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Everybody's following him. Why? Because he's attracting great crowds with this unbelievable healing ministry that people have never seen before, but it wasn't only his healing. It was his teaching ministry as well. Matthew records actually the next three chapters in his gospel. That's Matthew 5, 6, and seven, Matthew records Jesus' most famous extended teaching, the most ex famous extended discourse we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds are mesmerized by Jesus' teaching. Why? Because they've never heard anyone like this before. Here's a summary statement of that body of teaching. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is at the end of chapter seven. We're flying through this text, aren't we? This is awesome. You might get out of here early. We'll see. Verse 28 in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus had finished saying these things, teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, 
because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, crowds were following Jesus because they've never heard anybody like this. They say, we've never heard anybody like this. We've never seen somebody do what he's done before. There is no one like this man. Jesus has absolutely transformed the teaching paradigm that people were accustomed to in his day. Jesus' teaching was different. It was authoritative and powerful, yet personal and sensitive, right? It spoke to people's hearts, not just their heads. It was a different kind of teaching, but it wasn't only his teaching that, that blew people away. It wasn't only his teaching that set a different paradigm in front of, of people. It was his power to heal and free hurting people who were demonized and who had every sickness and disease, and Jesus heals them. It just blows people away to see this. They had never seen anything like it. So he's teaching and he's healing, but there's something else as well. It's the way he carried himself in the crowds. It's, it's the way he, he interacted with the people. It's the way he loved people, really. It changed the atmosphere. It changed everybody around him. That's why there's such great crowds. That's why they all wanted to be near him, because where Jesus went, he literally changed the atmosphere around him. So what I want to do is I want to I pick up the text following the Sermon on the Mount and see what it says about how Jesus did it, like how his love did change all those around him. And then what would that mean for us, those of us who follow him and love him and want to be like him? What does it mean for us today? What can we learn from this body of teaching? So the first thing Matthew records following the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 8 is this healing a man with leprosy. So Matthew records that Jesus comes off the mountainside and immediately heals a man with leprosy. The actions recorded in the first verses of chapter 8. I'll read it. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds continued to follow him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Man, there's another paradigm shift right here in this passage. First the teaching, then the healing. Now this, in case you missed it, I'll explain it for you. See, in Jesus' day, lepers were considered cursed by God. Therefore, they were scorned by men and considered unclean. They were the untouchables. You know that. They were to have no contact with anyone other than other lepers, that was allowed, lest they make an otherwise healthy person unclean. You see, Jewish law forbids any contact with a healthy person. It states that unclean taints clean. That's how Jewish law read. So this leper knows he's clearly in the wrong. He's not supposed to be in the crowd, much less approach the teacher. That's why when he comes up to Jesus, what do he do? He hits his knees in front of Jesus, because he knows he's not supposed to be there. In fact, the other gospels say the man begged Jesus to heal him. He's begging because he knows he's clearly outside of acceptable behavior. So what does Jesus do? Well, he does not do what is expected, what any self-respecting rabbi would have done in his day. Jesus instead reaches out and touches the man. He touches him. This is unthinkable, people. A rabbi, a teacher, touching a leper, righteous and holy and whole, 
touching uncleanness. It's just not done. In fact, probably the religious leaders sneered in the crowd because they said, no self-respecting rabbi would do that. No one would make himself unclean purposely by touching this leper. But Jesus says, I'm willing to clean you. I am willing, be clean, and instantly the leper is healed. Again, the crowds are blown away. They've never seen anything like it. So tell me, why did Jesus touch this leper? Why did he reach out and touch the leper? You might think it's to heal the man. That would make sense if indeed physical touch was necessary for a healing. But the very next verses in your Bible, they detail an account where Jesus heals a centurion servant with just a word from his mouth, no touch necessary. The very next verses in your Bible make it clear that Jesus healed a paralyzed servant who was not even in the vicinity of Jesus, but Jesus speaks a word, a paralyzed servant in his bed, maybe miles away, is healed instantly with a word from his mouth. So physical touch is not necessarily needed for a healing. So tell me, why does Jesus touch this leper? I think is to demonstrate a new paradigm. A paradigm they've never seen before, but a principle he's just taught them in the Sermon on the Mount. I mentioned earlier that the old paradigm is unclean taints clean. It was written into Jewish law. Jewish law read, avoid all that is unclean. When unclean comes in contact with clean, then all becomes unclean. It was the former understanding of how to stay pure and whole and righteous. Jesus, in touching this leper, he demonstrates a new way of thinking, a new principle, a new paradigm. You know what it is? It's clean heals unclean. That clean, when clean come, unclean comes in contact with clean, clean makes unclean whole again, restored. Jesus demonstrated by touching this leper. He had taught it just a few days earlier, maybe moments earlier, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said it this way when he taught his disciples. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Clean makes unclean whole and pure and cleansed and restored. That's what Jesus was teaching. Jesus continues to demonstrate this new principle, this new paradigm in the next chapter of Matthew's gospel. Because in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew records that an unclean woman was planning to touch just the outer garment of Jesus in an attempt to get a healing from her affliction. She was unclean for 12 years. She had a bleeding problem for 12 years. Think of it. And she thinks to herself, maybe, you know, I saw this leper get cleansed. Maybe there's hope for me. Maybe if I touch him, clean will heal unclean. See, it's never been done before, but maybe she saw the leper. Matthew records it, and we pick up the action in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. 
So just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Once again, clean heals unclean. It's the new principle. It's the new paradigm since Jesus has come. When unclean comes in contact with clean, clean makes unclean whole, cleansed, and restored. It's totally opposite from what they knew, what they saw, what they understood. But now Jesus has come. It's a different game now because clean heals unclean. He is amazing, you know. Wherever Jesus went, people were utterly transformed. The blind received their sight, the lame walked, sinners turned their backs on their sin, crooked businessmen returned what they had stolen, power-hungry leaders began to serve, the selfish started to share. The outcasts came in and the religious insiders invited the outsiders in. Wherever Jesus went, he changed the atmosphere. People around him were transformed by his presence. Here's what's crazy. Here's what's more amazing. You know what Jesus says? He says, you and I can do the same. He has equipped and empowered you and I to do the very same thing because of his spirit inside of us. We bring a light that dispels darkness and a peace that passes understanding. That's what Jesus says. He's convinced that we can positively impact every and any situation we walk into when we bring his presence into the situation. And I know what you're saying. In your head, you're saying, yeah, but he's Jesus. He's Jesus. Of course he has that kind of impact. He has power that I do not have. I can't do what he does. I can't, I can't make the impact he has because that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And I'm here to say, you're right, that's true. You are not Jesus. But let me tell you what Scripture says about you. Scripture declares that the same power and authority that you see in the life of Jesus is available to all followers of him. Scripture over and over makes the case that people who carry the Spirit of God in them are already, already have everything they need to walk as Jesus walked. Jesus himself tells his disciples that when he is gone, the Spirit will teach them all things, guide them into all truth, and empower them to live joyfully, confidently, and powerfully. I'm not sure we believe it, but this is what Jesus told his disciples. And he wasn't done. Jesus said that everything the Father gave him, he gives to us. He gave us the authority to do everything he did, and even greater things. You know that verse. You probably don't believe it, but you know it. Even greater things. That's what Jesus said. Not only that, but Jesus reminds his followers that he put his spirit inside us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he said. So what is, is there anything you cannot do with his spirit inside you? The answer is no. Jesus made that clear. So maybe you and I are better equipped than we think. Maybe we're better resourced than we know. Maybe there's more available to us than we realize. You see, because God's word tells us the kind of impact we can have when we believe who we are and who God designed us to be. Do I need to remind you about what the word says about who you are? Pastor Steve started it last week. He began to remind us about what the word says about who we are. 
The Bible says that you're a favored son or daughter of your heavenly father. It says that he chose you before the foundation of the world. That would be enough if it were the only truth about you. But there's more. Do you realize what else the Bible says about who you are? It says that you and I were co-heirs with Christ, seated with him in the heavens, that you've been justified and forgiven of all your sins, that you've been bought with a price, you belong to God, and you're united with him in spirit. The Bible says that you're a saint, a friend of God, a citizen of heaven. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a branch of the true vine, and you're appointed to bear much fruit. Are you getting this? This is crazy. Yeah, it goes on. You know what the word says? The word says you're hidden with Christ, free from condemnation. Your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. You're the aroma of Christ, a new creation, his temple, his workmanship, his co-worker, and his ambassador of the good news. Those are big titles, people. It says that you have every good gift that comes from your, hev- your heavenly Father and everything necessary for godly living. It says you've been chosen by God and his spirit lives inside you. This spirit is your deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. You are complete in Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No weapon of the enemy can stand against you and nothing in all, can create, in all creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And you're wondering if you can make an impact, right? You're they're like, yeah. You should clap. Better yet, we should believe this stuff, right? It's just too good to be true, but it is true. You just got to believe it. You have, to, you have to embrace it like it's true for you because it is. He, is a, he has empowered us as his followers to do all this, but we have to believe it. You have to know it in here. See, you have to be convinced that you really are salt and light. You see, you have to be convinced that his spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You know what salt does? It enhances and purifies and heals. You have light in you. You know what light does? It dispels darkness. It brings hope to those who are overwhelmed by their circumstances. It brings peace to those who are riddled with fear and anxiety. This is what you bring into any and every situation if you believe it, if you recognize you are salt, you are light. That's why he put his spirit inside you so you can change the atmosphere of those around you just like he did. So how do you, become to believe, how do you come to believe this is true? And not just like nice words on a page or true for somebody else. I know of only one way. Time with him. Time with him when no one else is looking. Not here in church, but time with him, letting him father you and speak to you. Not reading his word out of religious duty. You should read his word. Why? Because he reveals himself in his word. But reading it so you get to know him better. Because as you get to know him as your father, you'll start to see yourself more clearly too. And your fear and insecurity will start to fade away. You'll start to believe the stuff that he says about you. You know what? Some of you just need some more time with your heavenly father. That's what you need. That's what I need. Everything changes when you get to know him as your father. You'll start to believe what he says about you. Letting him father you so that you start to understand and hear his voice. And every other competing voice sounds so foreign and so strange. You won't be duped by the enemy anymore. You won't be mixed up by your own voice in your head of insecurity and fear. But you'll start to believe his voice, that you can change the atmosphere, that his spirit lives inside you, that you can make a difference. But you need this. You need the relationship. See, when you get to know God, your father, everything changes, and you'll start to walk like Jesus did. So God sent his son Jesus to put his spirit inside you, He actually felt you were worth sending his son to die so he could place his spirit back in you. And then this spirit could live through you. 
You were created to bear the image of God and demonstrate his goodness and grace. You demonstrate it to a world of people who do not know who they are or what they were created for, but you know. So you bring light into every situation. You fill the world with his light. In fact, Matthew 5, 16, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what it says? Jesus said this about you and me. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See how it works? This is how it works. People see you because you shine, and then they get to know the Father, the light that's in you, because you've demonstrated through your eyes and through your hands and through your feet and through your, your lips. You've demonstrated who lives in you. You shine, and they then come to know the Father. You demonstrate his love and compassion to people who look okay on the outside, but they're desperate on the inside. But you need to know that when you go and you step into a situation. See, the spirit of God that lives in you, he's dying to get out. He's dying to get out of you through your eyes as you see people, through your hands as you touch people, through your mouth as you bless people. The compassion of Jesus just flows out of you. It flows out of those who carry his spirit. You just need to believe you don't need to preach. Your life is the sermon. The way you live is the message. People see Jesus in your life, in your eyes, in your words, your actions, and they see a peace, they see a joy, they see a contentment they don't see anywhere else. They see a light and power in you that others do not carry, but they want it. And this life flows out of you because you are filled. Jesus says there's living water inside you flowing from you and giving life and light to all those around you. It's no longer you who lives anyway. It's Christ Jesus who lives through you. You literally change the atmosphere because of the spirit you carry. You can do it. You just have to believe it. Believe that what he's done in you is to glorify him, but he'll use little old you to do some amazing things, not just Jesus. Jesus says you'll do greater things. See, God's at work all around you. He has littered your life with divine appointments. And you'll begin to see him when you recognize he's at work. When you start to look for him, you'll see him. And you'll recognize that he is setting you up to bless people and minister and be that light and be that healing agent. The same way he would be if he were here in person. His spirit's inside you. He's just getting you, letting you do it. You'll begin to walk and move recognizing that God is in you and wants to use you in any given situation. And you'll stop wondering and worrying if God will ever show up and start dreaming about what if he does? Because what has happened is you've adopted and believed a new paradigm. A paradigm that says clean heals unclean. That says whatever comes in contact with clean gets cleansed and whole and purified. See, Jesus has taken away your sin and he's made you clean. And he now wants to use you to demonstrate and be that cleansing agent, being that purifier, be that encourager, be that one who brings wholeness back to that which is unclean and broken. He wants to use you to do it, to be the natural part of what he is doing supernaturally, to use you to change the atmosphere. You just have to believe it and then say, okay, God, use me. So what do you say, church? I think it's time for him to use us. Amen? We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also 
uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.